We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we head into Hour 2, we got Debbie Lesko coming up in a little bit. Talk to us about the crisis at the border, the ongoing, continuing crisis at the border. Talking a little bit about my monologue uh, from uh, the first hour uh, regarding uh, cognitive dissonance politically, uh, social, sociologically, socially, and uh, psychologically as well. And uh, Doug uh, was uh, giving us some feedback on this. Doug, I, I don't know if you remember the old 60s song, You Were On My Mind. I've got troubles, whoa, whoa, I've got troubles, whoa, whoa. That's the way I feel about this country right now. Uh, I think you're right. And almost all the problems, ironically, can be solved by simply going back to a, the basic set of principles. And I, I, I mean spiritually and economically. The, the, the economics part of it is the secondary part of it. I think we've all got to realize that I've said before when we've talked that the very core of our, and by our way, our founding fathers even said that when they said that this, this constitution and way of go- free government was designed only for a moral and religious people. It will, it cannot regulate, it, it cannot be sustained by any other. That's just a rough interpretation. Mm-hmm. But, but, but here's the whole thing. Faith exists in certain, very strongly, in certain parts of the world, in certain parts of time. And it's not a coincidence that if you begin to look at these different, you, th- you think they're totally disparate, but they are not. They are, have similar cultural and uh, conditions that allow for the thriving of faith. Mm-hmm. And it is, and, and even if you don't believe and don't believe in religion or faith, you are the beneficiary of the results of it. And that is a life guided by principles uh, versus feeling. Now, what we, and that's, and I don't mean that we, we want to suppress feeling because I think of principles, being an artist, a fine artist, I think of principles like a, a, a a black and white, like a line drawing on it, okay? A life without principles is total chaos. And the feelings um, are the color and that you have in the painting. It enriches the line drawing and adds passion and joy and, and awe to it all. But color without principles or line drawing is chaos as well. And so it is the blending of these two that add richness and structure to a life, and that principles do not suppress feelings. Um, it allows for the free expression of it because you're not, not self-destructing. In a quick example, I can give hundreds, but let's say you have a child that is having struggling in school. Is it compassionate to let them avoid their fears or to be, or is it more compassionate to seem like you're struck, being more strict and adding more structure and discipline into that 
so that two years from now they can see the joy of success and how they have advanced. And then they become more mighty and powerful. A compassionate person, unguided by principle, would let them fall into their weakness and succumb to their fears, and they would have to wallow in it the rest of their lives. And that's not true compassion. And so our societies that are the societies that are guided by these uh, principles and ours was, and we were the most religious uh, place on earth. We were then the, the free enterprise and capitalism was the natural expression of that culture. It does not come first. It does not supplant their spiritual and principle basis of the society is the backbone that allows free enterprise to most thrive. And uh, in those conditions, we were strong and we were compassionate. And the thing that, uh, oh God, now my brain just went blank. That Frenchman in the 1840s that came over and studied us. Tocqueville. One of the things, what's that? Tocqueville. Tocqueville, thank you very much. I knew that on the tip of my tongue. Um, The thing that so impressed him was that we, the local community, we turned to our our bishops, we turned to our minister, we turned to the local community. We had the internal strength to handle our problems. We looked nowhere else than ourselves to take care of the ordinary. And we did. My grandparents and my dad did not think of mental disease and problems. They were concerned about, am I guided by the principles and am I living in those principles? And life was short oftentimes. Dad said when he was a boy, their main concern is having food through the winter. It was not navel-gazing into these tiny little problems we have today. He had to watch his sisters die, three of them. He held them as they died from the influenza. They were close to death, and they were close to the richness and joy of life through spiritual principles. And I think too often, as we become more shallow and we fall away to personal pleasure, and we we try to find pleasure in spirituality, you try to find pleasure here and pleasure there, we actually get less pleasure, and we end up succumbing to more emotional neuroticism. That's generally what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think we can get uh, I think we can get pleasure and enjoyment uh, from amusement and entertainment in the right things. In the right thing, and yeah. and I think you know a lot of this derailed in the '60s and '70s. What ultimately became the me decade, where I was more important than something bigger than myself, and we started getting it through other people rather than through a higher order or a, or, or a more important or durable order of things. This notion that I was speaking of, um, I think, in my monologue a little bit about how humans need meaning it's it's a necessity not a luxury and people used to start their day perhaps with a prayer let me i mean i i I don't want to be too theological about all this but but you know when the new york state legislature and governor signed off on a prayer to be read at the opening of a school day in the 1950s that read nothing more than almighty god we acknowledge our dependence upon thee and we beg thy blessings upon us our parents our teachers and our country um and that was you know ruled unconstitutional to do so 
you tell me the respect and the importance of the institution of parent and parenthood, uh, the respect and quality of teachers, and the respect towards and views of our country, those three things we were asking blessings for. Has it gotten better or worse? Now, not everything can be foisted onto that problem, but it was the beginning of a new moment. It was the beginning of a new kind of morning in America, if you will. It was the beginning of an entertainment and an amusement that put the I before the we, and it put the you before the us, and it put the selfish before the selfless, I suppose is the way I would put it if I were looking for the rhetorical tricolon. And we can see that all around us now. Um, but I don't think people were less amused or less happy back then. I would oh, make no. the argument that they no. were actually more happy. I know that to right. be the case when you look at the data on anxiety and depression right. today. Right. There was less yeah. mental health problems in those right. days, and there are more now because we are investing in ephemeral, fleeting, frenetic entertainment. Right. And oh, meaning. That, and attempted yeah. Yeah. meaning. Right. Right. That, that is so true, Seth. And, and that's what I was trying to say in my roundabout way, is that the, the, the best and happiest people is, are people that have delayed gratification. The people that suppress their feelings in some area you know actually delayed, have Do you know more... what delayed gratification is? I learned from Jordan Peterson this weekend. A what? great, a great yeah. other word for it. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Thank you. When you sacrifice for another or another cause, you end up getting more. Here's the funny thing. So many people self-destruct in a relationship. And like now my wife, dear wife and I have been happily married. I've been courting her for 48 years. And I believe part of a happy marriage is uh, to continue to court and laugh and have fun every day. We are best friends. And we're, you know, she's just such a dear, sweet woman for almost, we're heading towards half a century. And people have ruined and self-destructed many relationships by going with an impulse. Yes. And selfishness and, 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 uh, narcissism and putting themselves as more important, uh, than the unit and the other. Exactly right. Why do you think we have a marriage crisis in this country too? It grew up with the me decade. Thank you, buddy. I got to run. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight and honor to welcome back to the show Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, proudly representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District and good common sense. I'm so glad we could connect with you today, Debbie. I, these numbers, my gosh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11,000 border crossings a day, maybe a million and a half gotaways since Joe Biden's president. How can we go on, Debbie? I don't know how we can go on. And the sad thing is that Biden told the American people before his election that he was going to do this. And he has. I mean, he supports open border policies. And now illegal immigrants from all over the world are flooding in. There were 233,000 border crossings in August of this year. And if you compare that to August from three years ago when Trump was in office, it was only 50,000. But then that doesn't tell the whole story because, as was just reported, another 211,000 migrants 
flew directly into the United States, into cities without crossing over the southern border. And so we have these extra people. And then another 263,000 migrants have made appointments to enter into the United States via the One app. It's just insanity, total insanity. And when states try to do something about it, I think I saw a story today that the Texas uh, sheriffs were trying to put up some wire fencing and some gaps, and the federal government ordered the CPB to take it down. I mean, it's it's as if they... It's not as if. It is that they want this. They want this crisis for some reason. Yeah. They don't call it a crisis. They want this to happen. But there's a weird dialogue going on because you will hear Karin Jean-Pierre and Alejandro Mayorkas saying it's not happening. We can see it with our very eyes and we see what the orders from the federal government is saying. They want it to happen. Yeah, it's they're totally lying to us, the American people and to Congress. I mean, Secretary Mayorkas, the Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, just lies. He says the border is uh, operationally secured. It's absolutely not. I mean, people see, like you said, with their own eyes, they have train loads, train loads of people coming up um, from uh, the southern area, I think from Central America, and coming up. And so it's it's And planting their flags, physically planting their flags. I saw someone, uh, a group of Venezuelan uh, illegal immigrants actually planted a flag here, planted literally one of their country's flags here. Wow. Wow. Well, then, you know, so they want open border policies. Now, in the U.S. House of Representatives, the Republicans passed a border security bill, and we did it already this year. It's sitting over in the Senate. Schumer isn't moving it. And so this coming week, we're going to be voting on appropriations bills, I hope. And part of that deal is that they have to pass H.R. 2 in order to fund the government, because we think that's where the the American people are. It's like, okay, we'll fund the government, but you better secure the border. And if Schumer and Biden don't want to secure the border and instead want to shut down the government, then it's on them. I mean, we need to secure the border. We've already passed it out of the U.S. House. It's sitting in the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats. They're not moving it. So we need to push them to do so. This is uh, H.R. 2. This is the uh, Secure the Border Act. You gave it the number two number, showing the priority, yep. right? I mean, that that's how high a priority it was. Uh, to uh, give the audience just a sense of, of, of what would be in this, I've seen the president, uh, or at least the White House, I don't know what the president says anymore, but the White House at least has said that they're not going to be in favor of it. Of course, that probably tells me it's because it'll solve the problem. Well, it would solve the problem. One of the main things that's in it is reinstating the Remain in Mexico policy, which was great under Trump. It it automatically reduced the number of um, migrants that wanted to cross the border because what happens before the Trump policy and after now the Trump policy is people just cross over the border. They claim asylum. Once they claim asylum, they're in the country and they just wait for a court hearing. Most of them don't show up. With the Remain in Mexico policy, what happened is, yeah, you can claim asylum, but you have to wait in Mexico mm-hmm. or another safe third country um, while your claim is processed and you go to court. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. 
But, of course, the Biden administration and the Democrats in the uh, U.S. Senate and the U.S. House want open borders. I don't know exactly why they want open borders, but they prioritize illegal immigrants over U.S. citizens. For goodness sakes, you know, you know, you know how many homeless people we have here in Phoenix and and we're not even helping them but yet we're helping spending billions on helping illegal immigrants house them giving them health care we can talk and everything about the else. homeless we can talk about the veteran yes all all classes of american citizens and legal immigrants to america of course debbie um i, I you know there's been so much speculation as to the why and, you know, I don't think it's too cynical to think that there is a long term program or long term concern policy here. I mean, I think some of it I, I, I I'm, this is in the form of a question to you to get your thinking. You're there. I think some of it is this reticence to think that we're actually a country worthy of its own sovereignty and that we have a right to say no to people from other countries, particularly if they come from multiracial or ethnic backgrounds. But I think also there's but there is a long term political strategy to this. I I, it, I I can't escape the notion that there is ultimately turning these people into voters. Well, you know, I don't I don't understand it and I don't know what's in their minds. I think some of my Democratic colleagues actually believe that they're being compassionate to let all these people in. But it's not compassionate because girls are getting raped. Women are getting raped. Kids are being sold into sex slavery. A bunch of they're doing a bunch of they're at the hands of the cartels. You know, the cartels are charging them thousands of dollars and they get shipped over here. They may go to sponsors houses and then they owe those people money. I mean, it's just they're at the hands of the drug and human trafficking cartels. And it's not compassionate to them. And besides that, there's there's some bad people crossing the border, too. I mean, they caught 151 crossing the border that are on the our terror watch list. And then the FBI is now trying to find out this ISIS um, terrorist person who helps smuggle people across the border. I mean, when you have a wide open border and you have uh, they welded open gates here in Arizona, uh, to to uh, apparently for flood control, but all these uh, migrants are crossing over. And then you, you just advertise to the whole world when you have people fly into the United States. Plus, Biden just last week said, oh, for about 500,000 uh, Venezuelans that are already in the United States, we're going to grant you work permits. Yeah. And promise you we're not going to deport you. Right. So, of course, more people are going to come. Right. And, that more and, more and, and of course, that come. won't suppress wages either, will it, at, at this point? Oh, my gosh. All right, Debbie, uh, stay on it. I like your stance on HR, too. Make that non-conditional. Good for you. Good for you. Thanks for coming That's on. That's what the Republicans are doing Good. here. So thank you for of having course, me on. We are fighting the fight. Keep it up. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie Lesko. Thank you. You betcha. CDE, uh, Congressional District 8 here in Arizona. Tough. Good. Need it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike is in Phoenix. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. I, I just wanted to expand. I've been at a lot of events where Debbie was, but I want to expand a little bit on what Debbie Lesko talked about, but I think that 
it's just another facet that everybody forgets about, and it's very convenient. But uh, I, I have been in business in Phoenix since 1969. I have a business right now with a bunch of clients. I'm a contractor. And uh, uh, one of my – I just have to make two quick points. One of my one of my clients for a long time was the Catholic Social Services. And I'll be very honest with you. At some point, we have to make a decision of what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And in dealing with the Catholic Social Services, I began to notice years ago the Office of Peace and Justice – I didn't even understand what that meant. Now I see it, and I see what's going on right now. And I'm not just picking out the Catholic Social Services, but this is an NGO that's taking huge money, federal money, huge federal money, to administrate the movement of these illegals through our state and through our country. And everybody just kind of looks the other way. But this is a profit-making enterprise on our side of the street, not just the cartels and them getting paid off. These, they, they, they want all of this immigration. Trust me, they want this immigration. And I believe for two reasons. They're taking huge money from the United States government, and it is funding huge, huge offices within, their, within the Catholic organization. So it's very convenient to take this money and to facilitate all this movement, and it also builds the base of their church. But let me go, let me go a little further. And, and trust me, I come from a family of Christians that go to church. I, I'm not anti-church or, or anti-any religion. But there, there is this, this thing that has been built into our society now, and I don't know whether it's out of guilt or out of um, uh, misapplied ethics or just greed. But yesterday, a guy who is in business next to me, and I've always liked him, nice guy, and he's in another church. He's in the Mormon church, and he's a very studious guy. He's been on, he was in missions in South America, and, and, and he's an engineer. Smart guy, really smart guy, and I like him. But yesterday, I was watching what had happened in Eagle Pass, and, where, and I do a lot of work down on the border, down on the Yuma area, and I was telling him some things we've seen just lately in the Yuma area. And he said, stop, stop. We're, we're not going to talk there because I think you and I have very different visions of, the, of what should happen at the border. And it began to dawn on me, same thing. Here's a guy that did his mission in South America. Here's a church that builds their base. They're building their base through recruitment of people in those countries and that come into here. There is, there is a whole other facet of this that's going on in our country, far and above from the cartels paying the people to come in, far and above from trying to raise uh, 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 voters for, for the, the, I'd say, the left party. There are, there are other facets. Seth, we're losing the war here in a number of areas. And people just look away. They just look away. Nobody is addressing that. And then I'll tell you one other thing. I did business with a church in Mesa, a cap fundamental, I thought, uh, Christian church. And a very good friend of mine is like an elder in that church and has worked in and helped build that church from nothing. He left about eight months ago because basically they had become this extremely woke Christian church that is all for open borders. We have a movement going on in our country that we're not recognizing. And we think that, that we as Christians and, and, and people of faith are going to hold the line in the country. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. I'm just not so sure that's true it's anymore. It's a fascinatingly it's, important point, uh, and I don't know the specifics to what you're speaking of. I'm just not smart enough or studied enough uh, is perhaps the right way to put it, uh, learn it enough on, on that angle or element of it. Um, but I have seen in other areas uh, of social policies, particularly domestic policy, 
where organizations all over the map, religious, non-religious, some invoking a brand of religion's name or a version of a religious uh, uh, church or synagogue or, t- or, or affiliation's name, where, you know, the policy and the public policy of it dominates more than the theology of it. And um, people have got to do their research and do their work uh, before they support these organizations just because something has a good-sounding name. Uh, again, I can't speak to the specifics of what you're saying, Mike. I, I take everything here with, with, with the assumption that it's, it's all in candor and, 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 and goodwill, and I, and I do know that um, of, of, uh, of, of you. But I will just simply say this. When politics and policies start to trample on what we know to be good for this country and the essential message of that religion, when those things are colliding, you know who's going to win, don't you? You know what's going to win. Leftism is going to win every time. It is a strong toxin. It is a much stronger toxin than anything that's been thrown up against it. The body count is there. And yes, you're right. This country better wake up to what it's doing to itself before it's too late, because there's not a lot of time left. I appreciate the call. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's just that. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, changed election laws, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you trust veterans at Midas Gold Group, like myself and Seb Gorka, because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group today, 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Bruce is in Mesa. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Seth. How are you today? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I caught uh, the tail end of that discussion with Debbie Lesko there, and I was kind of taken aback by uh, her comment that when she said, I really don't know why they want this open border. Um, let, let me bring us all back to in history just a little while back, about 20 years ago, when the great Rush Limbaugh had summed it up pretty concisely. He said, we don't have an immigration problem in this country. We have a voting problem. First-generation immigrants vote anywhere from 70 to 80 percent for Democrats. If they voted anywhere from 70 to 80 percent for Republicans, there wouldn't be a single immigrant getting across that border or any other border that we have, whether it's the north or the south. And the ones that are here illegally would have a one-way ticket back south of that border, never to set foot in this country again. That is the problem. They're creating voters to maintain their power. That's it, in a nutshell. I've always, um, I've always thought that, and I floated it. Um, it's interesting, just speaking candidly with you, Bruce, and the rest of the audience, 
um, that every expert I have asked as to the why of this policy, these open border policies, as to the why, whether they are elected officials or not, whether they're in the think tanks, um, the think tanks that I presume are, you know, on the side that you and I share or take the position you and I share, you know, they're very hesitant or reticent because I guess it's it's um, it's multifaceted in some respects, but it's also hard to contemplate in others. I um, I I have I have come to conclude that there has to be a certain element of that. And maybe it's the decisive element. Maybe it's the majoritarian viewpoint or unspoken truth about this. But I also think there's something about the other thing I was saying to Debbie, um, which is there is a new Democratic Party in this country that just doesn't think of our country the way the Democratic Party used to think of our country. Um, It's interesting, actually, to consider that the Democratic Party once upon a time was the most restrictionist when it came to immigration, legal or illegal. But somewhere between that and the late 70s, let's say, there was a Democratic Party here that still thought this country was a hugely meaningful and important thing. As I was pointing out last week, even the left of the left, you know, like George McGovern, everyone says, oh, McGovern, McGovern, McGovern was, you know, the, the high point of liberalism or the turning point of liberalism to this country. This is a man who loved this country, fought for it in World War II um, and would not, I don't think, put up with the woke nonsense we see today any more than a John F. Kennedy would or a Hubert Humphrey would or that coterie of Democrats in those days. Even the academics of those days were great, you know, lovers and believers in America, which meant also American sovereignty and that this country was something special and something worth protecting and something worth preserving and something that had um, had of itself to teach the rest of the world, you know, that, you know, there was an American exceptionalism that ran through the, 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 the vapors of both parties. There was that. And that's just not true anymore. There is also a deep-seated viewpoint in today's Democratic Party that, to quote former Governor Cuomo of New York, Andrew Cuomo, the truth is we never really were that great. They do believe that. They don't believe in American exceptionalism. They like to make a political point of denouncing those that believe in a notion of making America great again. They think it's a callback to a time of racism. It is not. It is a view that actually this country is the world's last best hope because it is our last best hope because it has principles that are worth preserving because they stand for the most amount, the maximum amount of human flourishing, freedom and equality that any other society has ever designed. If there weren't residuals and remnants of that, people would not be fleeing here in the first place. But they don't want to admit to that and they don't believe that anymore. And I think that's there, too. It's kind of a down market view of this country. Yes, the political thing you said, but also a down market view of this country as something worth keeping safe. Well, you know, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think the younger generation of the Democrats it, it, uh, does go along with a lot of what you, you just articulated there. But when it comes right down to it, Seth, the, the Democrat Party is Tanami Hall. They were Tanami Hall before they were Tanami Hall. They were Tanami Hall when they were Tanami Hall. And they're still Tammany Hall. You know, a lot of these virtuous things that they used to maintain back, you know, a generation ago, they'd go right back to it in a heartbeat if they started losing elections. And, and, and that's my opinion. I am so jaundiced by them 
they're just they're just power mad totalitarians. That's who they are. Well, they're and, pa- and they're, yes, I, look, there's no question about the the the, the power and their end runs around the Constitution and end runs around normal uh, federal and state law. I mean, my goodness gracious, what is a sanctuary city, if anything other than nullification of federal law? That's what it is. Mm. It's not a sanctuary city. It's nullification of federal law. Mm. That's exactly what it is. It's it's the uh, abridgment of law. And they will do anything for that power. The question I think that you're wrestling with, as I am, and maybe you and I aren't really wrestling with it, but maybe we need to do a better job of educating on it, perhaps, is the why. Is the why. Because it just doesn't make sense to too many people. It just doesn't. I mean, I think a lot of people are willing to ignore the border problem because they don't think it's potentially, excuse me, I don't think they think it's possible that this could be this bad. Because why would it be? Well, there is a why. There is a reason. And there is a movement and an effort that wants it this way. Um, and, And I think maybe you and I need to do a better job of trying to explain that element of it, too. Yeah, yeah. Because it's hard for people to contemplate. You know, when people call me and ask me or talk to me, Bruce, about, you know, um, how do I know what's true? How do I know what's not? I said my my usual rule is if something is too bad to be true, it usually is. If it's too good to be true, it usually is. Do your research. This is so bad, it's hard to contemplate. It's hard for people to appreciate. And if you go to most of the networks or most of the newspapers, you won't even see it reported. In fact, when Fox had drones trying to show it, remember the federal government tried to take them down? Did. Didn't want it displayed. Vice president still hasn't been there. President still hasn't been there. Why? Don't want the cameras on it. Don't want the cameras on it. Be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They are good people. They're based here locally. They're active in our community, and they offer up a great investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Portfolio, well, you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal, no penalty, if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. It's a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. It's right at 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I was just thinking about the past several callers, the crisis at the border, and um, part of the uh, border problem, of course, that contributes to so many other problems that we have, um, including, obviously, a, a tremendous drug problem we have. You just heard the ad that I and a few other folks got together and did in putting together our campaign. Uh, the Stop Starts Here, thestopstartshere.org. Um, check it out. Check it out online. Uh, if you can help us uh, out, that's great. The more you help, the more eyeballs we can reach. We want to saturate children and parents to make them aware. Do you realize the enormity of this crisis right now? 300 Americans a day, 9-11 every week and a half, dying from drug poisonings. 110,000 Americans a year. Think of two commercial airliners crashing over our skies every single day. There are things the government should be doing about this. Obviously, the border is one of them at the supply end. They should be doing something about it at the education and destruction end. You never know 
what's in that one pill. I talk to probably or hear the story of a parent a week or a family member a week of someone who took a pill they thought was something else and it had fentanyl in it. They didn't know, and that was the end. One and done. One and done. They need to be educated on this stuff, and you'd think, well, you may know something about it. Too many don't. The government should be doing something about it. They're not. We are. Check us out at thestopstartshere.org. We're effective, unapologetic drug prevention messaging. Uh, We've done the softest of launches uh, because we're running lean and mean here, and we've already reached uh, over 260,000 people on just Facebook alone. We're on Instagram where we've reached almost 100,000 people. We're doing really well, and the more eyeballs we can get in front of with the more frequency and the more routine, so much the better. I know we can save lives with this program because we did it before. We did it in the late 80s and early 90s. We brought drug use in this country down by over 60%, and then we gave up. Well, me and my guys and gals are doing it again. Check us out at thestopstartshere.org. Any help you can give is appreciated. We'll solve it together. The government won't do it, so we will. All right, a lot more coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back.